There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. It's Friday, October 21st. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by the men and women of Steamfitters Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. As we approach Halloween, cemeteries in our region see a huge increase in visitors looking for spooky activity to embrace the holiday. But there's far more than just the novelty of a visit. The history of the land and the stories of the people buried there make these graveyards living museums. We speak to the superintendent of Oak Hill Cemetery, Paul K. Williams, who actually lives on the grounds. There was rumors decades ago that there was a young female ghost in the house here, and I think her grave had been unmarked. It turns out the cemetery from the 18th century is still active. Williams tells us how they create space for more plots and says one of his favorite parts of the job is helping clients find their final resting place. We make it as fun as possible. We joke about it. We pick out sites. We pick out the view. They lay down on the site and look up to see their view. Oh, my goodness. Really? It happens. Thanks for joining us. I'm Megan Cloherty. And I'm Luke Garrett. Well, it's the one thing we can all bank on. Death, that is. As my English teacher used to say, your train is coming, it's only a question of when. Despite death being such a sure thing, we often avoid the subject. It's a scary thing, likely the scariest of all. But not for Paul Williams. See, Paul cares for the grounds at the Oak Hill Cemetery in D.C. and has unique insight into how to get the most out of your experience if you are thinking of visiting uh, one of the city's graveyards. So, Paul, first of all, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being here. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's great. Um, Can you tell us exactly what you do? I'm the 14th superintendent, they call me, at Oak Hill Cemetery. So I oversee the grounds. I oversee funerals, uh, burials, and then I'm responsible for selling plots uh, as well. So do you live on the grounds? We do. One of the best perks of the job is my husband and I and two cats get to live (laughs) in a gatehouse At the cemetery entrance, it's a 5,000 square foot house that was built starting in 1850. It's an amazing property. Oh, wow. Wow. Now, I'm not sure if I believe in ghosts yet. I'm still on the fence. But if they do exist, I feel like they're definitely in and around where you are. Do you see any ghosts? Are you aware of any ghosts? (laughs) We like to think that because we live amongst 20,000 dead people, that they like to go and haunt somewhere else because Ah. they live here too. So... (laughs) We're in that philosophy, but there was rumors uh, decades ago that there was a a young female ghost in the house here, and I think her grave had been unmarked. So once it was marked, my predecessors said that they've never had any ghostly apparitions in the house since. Hmm. So we appeased her, and uh, like I said, they they haunt somewhere else, their house where they died or something, not here. We're making light of this, but this is an industry that is so important and so interesting, Yes, especially in our city. And Paul has long been in it, um, formerly the president of Congressional Cemetery for years. Um, Tell us what, I mean, what got you into this and 
what kind of responsibility do you feel? Because I imagine, I mean, there's a lot of care that, that goes into this job. It's true. You don't really go to school to run a cemetery. It doesn't exist. So <laughs> most of us superintendents or presidents fall into it. I happen to have a background in historic preservation. So when I started at Congressional and it, indeed here, they had a need for someone that knew about preservation of mm-hmm. both the architecture here, the chapel, the gatehouse, um, as well as headstones that might have issues being, you know, 175 years old and fallen over and how to put them back together. Yeah. So that's kind of the skills that I brought. And frankly, it's really pretty easy to run a cemetery and bury a person. You dig a hole and you put a casket in it. I mean, right. it's, it's, it's really not rocket science. So that part of the business is pretty easy to learn for anybody. Yeah. But mm. the preservation, though, is is where I imagine, I mean, there's science to it. Right. You're dealing with materials and old materials at that. Yeah. And a lot of people can very quickly screw that up. If they use a power washer to try to, oh. you know, power wash a marble stone, you're going to take away all of the inscriptions and mm. that stone's going to become dust in 10 years. So yeah. you, cemeterians really need to know what they're doing. Uh, historic wise. And funny enough, I walk by the Oak Hill Cemetery quite often on our street, and I noticed that there's a big renovation project with the Bigelow iron fences surrounding the cemetery. What's really going on here, and how long will that take? We just, it's funny you said that, we just painted the giant front gates and the pedestrian gate, and as of Monday, they are taking away the next seven sections behind the gatehouse here. Yeah. And they'll come back in about six weeks. And then we're going to work our way down the other 800 feet down our street. Wow. So, they're huge gates. I'm they're a, like they're iron gates. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So they're restoring they're, them or what are they doing to them? Yeah, they're about 10 feet tall and wow. weighs thousands of pounds. And they take them away to a foundry in Baltimore where they're kind of restored and stripped. And then we put an electrostatic paint on them that should last about 150 years. Now, Oak Hill Cemetery is self-described as a, quote, out-of-doors memory bank. Can you talk at all about, you know, how much memory and history is held within, you know, those buried there, the people that visit them, and just for the city more broadly? It's an interesting site. It only looks to be about two blocks long along our street in Georgetown. But in fact, we're 22 acres of rolling landscape back there. Mm. So we go all the way down to Rock Creek Park. As I mentioned, we have about 20,000 people buried there. And it really is a living museum of Washington, D.C. Once you start walking around back there, I tell everyone to get lost on purpose. Uh, you will see all the names, usually are metro stations now, like the Van Nesses and the <laughs> wow. Lithicums and the Corcorans and the Renwicks. Uh, everybody that has a name associated with things that we all know in D.C., including street names, are all buried here. So it's it's really a great connection to those of us that have lived in Washington for a long time. This time of year, do cemeteries really see more visitors just because of the whole Halloween spooky thing? And and if that's true, <laughs> is that a good thing? Is that like helping kind of raise awareness? Does it help generate funding at all um, for what you do? Yeah, I notice a lot more of our visitors are wearing all black lately. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> but uh, it is a renewed interest in cemeteries this time of year. People think about it. It's always been in Hollywood and and movies and stuff that cemeteries are creepy and Halloween and whatnot. So we do have increased visitors, but 
we encourage that. We'd like to have people come in, wander around. It's literally like a 22-acre central park in mm. the middle of Georgetown. It's mm. full of trees, and we have eight deer that live in here, and foxes, and hawks, and bunnies and everything so it's a really treasure trove of wilderness that just happens to have you know a lot of dead people mm, an <laughs> oasis in, in this like urban area that we're living in now you talked about that you also you know sell plots so it's still an active cemetery in other words i wasn't really aware of that but can you talk about that people can still be buried here yeah it is rare for cemeteries as old as we are we were started in 1849 175 years ago or so to still have plots because yeah. old cemeteries tend to fill up and then you do, you lose your source of revenue, which is a really important part of a cemetery. That's where it all comes from. So they, my predecessor, and we've gotten really creative about creating new real estate. So we can do something as simple as narrowing a road and then we can create 20 new casket sites mm. where the road used to be. Mm. Uh, we do the same thing with a lot of our paths. We just eliminate the path, and then we have grassy areas to do caskets or cremation. So we are an active cemetery. We've probably got maybe 200 casket sites right now and probably more than 600 cremation sites right now. And it it's really limitless what we can create uh, within our limited borders. And Paul, if you don't mind me asking, how much does it cost to be buried at Oak Hill? This cemetery, it still continues to shock me how expensive it is. Right. Really? If you want to be buried in a casket, it starts at $30,000 wow. for a site. Yeah. And if you want a family mausoleum site, I just sold one last week, it's $500,000. Half a million. Wow. And for how many people is that? And that gets you just a plot of land that's 15 feet by 20 feet. So then you need to build your own mausoleum. Oh, so, then, oh, so that doesn't even include. So you need to get no. the the yeah the granite and all that stuff. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's just the grass. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> and we all get to visit it for free. So that's right. You mentioned some of the I love this some of the like metro stations and the museums being named after those who are her buried there. Um, and I know I mean I kind of want to loop in congressional as well because you have so much experience there. What are some of your favorite stories or your favorite story historical story of someone who was buried in our city? I that's a good point. Congressional is a little more quirky. It has a little more infamous people like J. Edgar Hoover. Right. <laughs> um, and it has a gay corner, which we think is the only gay corner in a cemetery in the world, which is really cool. Mm. And it turns out we have a little gay step stairs here. It's all cremation. So I was um, introduced to it by a gay man that owns one. And he said, all of our friends are all buried there since the 1980s. So we wow. have a little gay corner here too. Oh, interesting. Which is fascinating. And one of my favorite stones here is a cremation site near our chapel. And it's it's a family. They're buried there and they have their names and their dates, just like everyone does around the world. But what they also inscribed was, it says, we finally found a place to park in Georgetown. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Wow, a little humor. That's oh, that awesome. No. In stone. Oh my gosh. I love it. I encourage it. I love it. Um, what do you think? Who do you think are the most famous people who are buried in DC in the cemeteries? We have Catherine Graham here. So she's a big one. Her house was across the street. Yeah. Uh, we have Ben Bradley, another journalist from the mm. Washington Post. I had the honor of burying Madeleine Albright just about two months ago. So wow. she is now here at Oak Hill Cemetery. 
that was a big celebrity funeral for us, if you will. Mm -hmm. At Congressional, they have uh, Matthew Brady. He was the Civil War photographer that took all of those images that we've all seen. Mm. He's buried right here in D.C. He had a photography studio uh, right down on Pennsylvania Avenue. And then one of my favorites at Congressional is Mary Hall. And she was a single businesswoman that had a house near the Capitol building. And she left an estate as a single woman worth a million dollars in 1882. Wow. And her clients were very prominent congressmen at that time. And she ran a really high class bordello near the Capitol building. That is wow. I kind of saw where that was going. (laughs) Right. That's how you make a lot of money in those days. That's right. Yeah, that was a lot of money. That's interesting. And, And a lot of clients close by. (laughs) <laughs> wow. Well, and it's so striking that, you know, in, in hearing you describe these cemeteries, your work, and you yourself, it's all so lively, but it all circulates around burial and death. What is it like kind of being in that, you know, middle ground between those two? What you did there with middle ground. Uh, <laughs> Luke was a philosophy major, so I was expecting some kind of I'm, uh, I'm just... life or death question, and we, sure enough, he delivered. Right. You're killing me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we can go on for hours. I know. Please. I was going to say, you probably have a lot of those one-liners. <laughs> it is an interesting, we consider ourselves kind of a service industry. Hmm. We're not morticians or a funeral home, and we don't do embalming and cremation and stuff like that. So we're the easiest part of a burial or a funeral situation. So we're the end. We, you know, open a hole. We have a service in the chapel. But we still deal with grieving families, grieving individuals. A lot of it, it, it's, it's one or the other. A lot of people are torn with their grief and, and suffering, and it's an awful process. Mm. On the other hand, when I tour around people that are still alive, planning their own plots or demise, we make it as fun as possible. We joke about it. We pick out sites. We pick out the view, they lay down on the site and look up to see their view. Oh my goodness. Really? Right. It happens. And they get, I tell them it's really important because they get exactly what they want. So if yeah. someone were to suddenly die and their children never knew what mother's favorite tree was, mm. well, mom's figured that out and she knows exactly where she wants to go. Huh. So I encourage the pre-planning rather than at time of need, we call it in the industry, when there's a death on a Monday and a casket needs to be in the ground on Thursday and people have to come up with tens of thousands of dollars in mm. days, mm. It's, it just adds to the stress and emotions of the funeral. Wow. Yeah, that's good advice. So, we, yeah. had, we had somebody in our newsroom say, oh, you should ask him, I mean, as far as the grieving goes, a lot of times people will leave things behind mm-hmm. on grave sites or on the plot that maybe yeah. is significant to them or significant to that person, but it can't stay there forever, right? So what happens to that kind of stuff? Yeah, I offer the advice to put that kind of stuff either in a cremation niche or in a casket so that it stays with the site. It could be military metals. It could be your favorite houseplant. It could be your cat's cremated remains from 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. It could really be anything. I just did a cremation funeral last week and they asked if they could put a full bottle of Stoli vodka in the cremation site because that was their dad's favorite vodka. And I said, hell yeah, why not? Right. So in went dad in a vase and in went a full bottle of vodka. And oh my gosh. 
call it a day. Why not? There's no protocol or traditions that need to be followed. Mm. You know, you can really customize it, make it your own emotional event. But Paul, if I left a, a bottle of Stoli, you know, on a random Thursday when I was visiting my father's grave, hopefully that doesn't happen anytime soon, by the way, dad, if you're listening, um, <laughs> what happens to that? I mean, you guys eventually kind of have to clear the area, right? And keep it clean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The gates close at 430. So the Stoli would end up in our liquor cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> a fair honesty, response. Yeah, honesty. honestly, I love it. Well, and Paul, I only say that because if that were the case, I could have a 13-year-old come in here and find a bottle of vodka right. no, and 100%. start drinking. But what <laughs> traditionally what we do is we let whatever items are there as long as as can be until they become unsightly. Mm. So if it's like a little stuffed animal, you know, 6 weeks from now in rain and snow, it's it's going to become unsightly. So we kind of move it away from that. Yeah. The last question I have is we kind of mentioned the holiday and how there's more traffic around um, Halloween. Hmm. Are there events um, going on at your cemetery at others that people could maybe take part in that maybe not like, you know, spooky necessarily, but maybe from a historical perspective? Uh, Sure. We have now over here, we have two dog days um, a year. So you can bring in your dog. And you can roam the 22 acres with your dog off leash. So Ooh, that's fun. Yeah, it's really fun. These city dogs that are cooped up in, you know, small parks or a small backyard can run 22 acres and they do. It's awesome. So we do that twice a year. And then we have a lot of tour guides that come in with tours. We have a self-guided tour that people can do in our cemetery here. We're happy to tour people around, but I'm most excited to kind of bring Oak Hill up to the 20th 21st century in digitizing the cemetery. Mm. So soon you'll be able to come in with your cell phone and type in tours that lead you right to that great site of all the famous people uh, or a relative. Even if a site is unmarked, we'll be able to guide people right to that site. Mm. It's almost like perfect for VR, like to kind of go on a tour and like learn Whoa. the history of someone who's who's buried there. Yeah, there's a lot of potential. We have a lot of visitors that come in, as I said, just get lost on purpose and they'll start Googling names. They'll see a really weird name or uh, an inscription that says, you know, major general in the Civil War. And they're like, huh, I wonder who he is. Yeah. And so it's all out there and it just brings you right back to where that individual is. It's mm. pretty cool. Well, Paul Williams, thank you so much for bringing us into this world of Oak Hill <laughs> Cemetery. We appreciate it. Sure. I appreciate the interest and the uh, By all means, encourage everyone to come by and stop. It's a beautiful, beautiful site. And we mentioned some of those events that are uh, being held around town at cemeteries. I wanted to give you guys two ideas. One is at Ivy Hill Cemetery in Alexandria tomorrow. They're having sort of a spooky uh, cemetery tour from Mm. 6 to 9 p.m. Um, And then there's a Halloween pet portrait day. (laughs) Whoa. At Congressional Cemetery on Sunday from 11 to 3. So if you're one of those people who dresses their pet up and is just delighted by it. It's time. You can get a great portrait. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Why not? So those are are the events. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about some scary books. And I don't know, maybe give you some ideas for what you want to read next. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. 
For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602, changing lives. I'm Paul Wagner. Join me as I dig deep into the mysterious case of the Potomac River Rapist. Listen to Unknown Subject, Season 3 of WTOP's award-winning American Nightmare podcast series, available now wherever you get your podcasts. And before we go, there's an interesting event going on this weekend at the Library of Congress. Do you remember the books, the Goosebumps series? Do I? They're like elementary school books. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I remember the color. Like, I can see the covers right now. Yeah. The oozing slime yeah. <laughs> going down the cover and, like, some character with big eyeballs. Part of me wants to read one of those again just to see how it holds up. The author, R.L. Stein, is mm. going to be celebrating 30 years of Goosebumps. Wow. Which is crazy. That's a lot of goosebumps. At the Library of Congress. And sadly, I'm telling you this with the caveat that there are no more tickets available. In spirit. You can go in spirit. I know. But the the reason I brought it up is because it makes me think of like scary books. Oh, yeah. I want to know, do you have like a recommendation or a good mystery novel or kind of like a scary? This is pure terror, what I'm about to suggest. And it's a short story. It's a short story that later inspired a movie. It's called The Birds. And it's a short story about birds basically, you know, terrorizing humans and killing them. And it was translated by Alfred Hitchcock into one of the scariest movies ever, also called The Birds, wasn't it? The Birds? Yeah. And that scene of a crow plucking out the eyeballs of a living person still just stays with me. Literally, if I see a crow and a raven, and they're beautiful animals, turns out they're very smart, which kind of scares me more, but they're very beautiful, (laughs) admirable animals. I am still... Very scared. It's if funny though how that happens. More than one crow like gets near me. I'm like, okay, eyeballs covered. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm leaving wherever I am. I don't care if I'm enjoying coffee. It's time to go. There can be very impactful things if you read or see when you're younger. Yes. That stay with you, man. The crows being an example. And get this, my second grade teacher had us read that. No. Yes, I was like 11. And I was like, you know, what are Wait you giving me? You were 11 that you were in second grade. How old is second grader? Like. They're like seven or eight. You were like in fifth grade. I was not in middle school. Let's just say that. <laughs> I was not in middle school, and it freaked me out. And then years later, I watched uh, the Alfred Hitchcock movie. and Oof, uh, it, Which was like, a mistake, apparently. Yeah, it just re-brought <laughs> that trauma up. And, uh, wow. Yeah, birds. Anyway. I didn't realize this was going to be so um, like a therapy <laughs> session. Well, here we are. I'm a little concerned. Um, <laughs> my book is a fiction book. Okay, good. So you're, you're safe. Yeah. It's by Tana French, who is a super popular author from Ireland. Um, she does like a series of mystery novels. Okay. And they're all like the last book is somehow is based on the book before it. Oh, whoa. So it's not always the same characters. But connected. But, but sometimes like a secondary character oh. in one book will then become the lead character in the next. Nice. Anyway, so there, I went through a period where I was like really into her writing. And one of the books is called The Likeness. It's about a female um, police officer in Ireland who is called to a murder scene, and the woman who has been killed looks exactly like her. Whoa. It's like her body double. Her doppelganger. Her doppelganger. Wow. And it's so, it just was like the concept of that really grabbed me, and it was a really good book. I I highly recommend it. Totally. Dang. That uh, actually kind of explains a lot, Megan Clardy, the maker of a true crime podcast. (laughs) I know. They're, they're, I was in a dark place apparently for a while. Um, I no longer am reading Tana French, but 
I, I mean, if you're looking for something that's not really like scary, scary, but yeah. like mystery or something different. Cool. Yeah. Well, that'll do it for us today on the DMV <laughs> Download. If you're looking for a scary, fun, spooky book to read. We are brought to you by Steamfitters Local 602. Our managing editor is Craig Schwab, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance. Share the show with everyone, literally. And uh, you can find us on social media where, where we're posting content every day. You can also find us at dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in D.C. I always do this part. 107.7 FM in Virginia. 103.9 FM in Frederick. Online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. How does that work? Because I feel like... It goes back and forth, but for some reason, it's always on me. I know, because we go back and forth on the like, and then I'll do it for us. Because I'm not always saying that I'll do it for us. I know. Because, oh, I know why. I know why. Because you said, you just said the very beginning, you didn't say the whole Craig Schwab... Oh, I don't mind it. I'm mean, getting really good at it. Yeah, it's true. You're and, killing it. And I think we should leave this in. Wow. So our well, listeners, tra- tra- transparency. Yeah, folks, this is how it is. This is how it be. But this is why I get to say, have a good night. <laughs>